What's the matter, man? For heaven's sakes, what is it? He, he went for a little walk. You should have seen his face. <laughs> And welcome back to, unbelievably, this 41st episode of The Fear of God, that very special podcast where we spend some time hanging out at the intersection of Christianity, the faith, and horror, the genre. Uh, with you, as always, is Garth. Just kidding. This is me, Nathan Rouse. Um, typically with me is, you know, just longtime friend college roommate what other sort of titles has he held i don't know but typically is reed lackey with me but a minute ago when we when we kind of tuned in together to you know get started on things he was he was doing some sort of chant it was kind of subtle and soft but all of a sudden he just started laughing hysterically and kind of maniacally i didn't really know what to make of things I'm, i'm i'm a little worried about his mental health based on what i was observing just then and reed oh man you're okay. You're, you 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 look better. You were looking pretty worse for wear for a few minutes there. <laughs> How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be having another episode, having another show. I'm actually way more excited to talk about this this movie than I expected to to be. I was gonna say because because you were uh, you were kind of you weren't speaking too highly of this particular one. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, so a couple bits of business um mm-hmm. yes today we are talking about and we'll get back to it but just to put a bookmark here today we are continuing our walk down the universal lot um as we explore the sights and sounds of 1932's the mummy starring boris karloff um so we will return to that momentarily but we do have some business to take care of as we do on the show occasionally one is read we have coming up in october one of our forthcoming series that you and I both, and sounds like some of our listeners are getting very excited for. Oh, yes. Um, in general, I'm just really pumped for some of the, some of the ideas that are percolating betwixt you and I that, you know, the listeners aren't quite privy to yet. I just want to point out that I just use the words betwixt and privy in the same sentence. It's what we do. Um, just pat- it's how we roll. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, um, you know, specifically in October, we are going to be talking about this new series. I love the nineties or walking through this series. I love the nineties. Um, but we are recruiting listeners, uh, with a little bit of, you know, like, like usually listeners get to just 
listen to the melodic tones of our voices as we go back and forth <laughs> discussing such minutia as I, I, I don't even know where to go with that. One, you know, like grand themes of Christology and cosmology on oh. down to petty silliness like pet mice. You know, like it's everything in between is is perfectly fair game on the fear of God. Um, but we rarely ask things of our listeners, but this time we are. What 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 are we working up to here, Reed? So, listeners, if you listen to our last couple of episodes, you already know where I'm going with this, but in preparation for our upcoming October series, hashtag I love the 90s, we would like for you to submit to us some of your favorite films of the 90s that are going to be compiled into a list of uh, the the favorites horror films of the 1990s. So here's what you have to do. You have to email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. We've already had a large number of submissions, but what we would like is for you to just email us with a handful of your favorites from uh, your favorite horror films from the 1990s. Here's the three guidelines. First, you do not have to rank them. Just list them out in any order that they come to you. Second, if you can't think of 10, submit to us what you have. We had several listeners who just submitted four or six. Um, if you can't think of 10, then just submit the ones you can think of, but limit it to 10, if you would, please. The third thing is there's often the argument about is it is it best? Is it favorite? Which one are we going for? We're going for favorite. So there's no need to ask yourself, well, is this really one of the best horror films of the 90s? If it's one of your favorites, that's what we want. So we want to know your favorite horror films of the 1990s. We're putting together the nominations list right now. So for the next couple of months, we're going to be asking for submissions. And then we're going to take all of those submissions, compile them into a big list. And then we'll explain to do what to do from there to compile what the ultimate list will be. But we're very excited. I'm already really thrilled given some of the submissions that we've had. There, there were a few surprises on some of the emails we've already received that it just delighted me. Have you, uh, Reed, as you've observed these lists coming in, are there any movies on these lists that you have not seen? Only one. I won't say which one it is, but there was one on one list that I was like, oh, it's a foreign film that I have not gotten around to yet. I, there's nothing been on these lists that I haven't at least heard of, but there was one that somebody submitted and I was like, oh, this is a good excuse to maybe try to watch this one. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that series. The 90s was a good decade. I liked the 90s. It was. Well, um, the one that delighted me the most, I'm going to call out, uh, shout out to, to Jeff Hansen. Um, he actually sent us a list and like in the email as he's going down making the list, he's like, wait, but then there's this one and then there's this one. It was just a lot of fun to read because at first he was like, well, the 80s was way better. And then he's like, well, but you had this and then this and then this. And I think that's been the biggest thing for me is when you think of of kind of classic horror, a lot of people kind of go to the 80s. The 80s was like a really big decade for horror films. And there's a lot of iconic masterpieces of horror from the late 70s and early 80s. But uh, I think the 90s is a rather unappreciated time for horror. Um, they live. I mean, wow. we can't forget. Yeah, They Live is, is one. 80s. They made a lot of films <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> but uh, I just mean, you know, masterworks. Yeah. You know? But uh, but no, I mean, as even some of these lists, these nomination lists are already delivering to us, it's, it's, it's actually very revealing that the 90s had a lot of great and surprisingly diverse films. They're not all of the same sort of tone or subject matter. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of great stuff already being listed. One thing uh, I didn't plan to mention this caveat, but uh, we had one submission that seemed to indicate there might be some confusion here. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a film we've already talked about. 
Um, I think some people uh, might wonder like, oh, well, it's for what we cover. No, this is just to compile a favorites list. So it doesn't matter if it's a film we've already talked about. I know we talked about Silence of the Lambs last week. That is absolutely fair game if you want to hit it on your list because it was 91. But yeah, it doesn't matter if we've talked about it or not. Please feel free to include it. It's your favorites that we want. Yes, that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Thank you guys for your involvement, those who have already submitted and those who have yet to. Um, I didn't pre- pre-brief you on this read, and it's just coming to me. I do want to take an, a moment here as we do occasionally. So I, I, it, it, it is significant that it is me introducing this concept. So I often, uh, if, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, maybe at least just one episode, you know that I love to um, give the movie Batman versus Superman a lot of grief. Um, <laughs> I am not, I am not generally um, an Uber fan of the work of director Zack Snyder, but um, we do want to take a moment here. You know, our show is about, a certain strain of media, but, but more than that, it is about faithful living and what that means as consumers and followers of Jesus, um, right. consumers of media and followers of Jesus. Um, and in the spirit of that, you know, I, I think, you know, I think you would agree with it, Reed, to just sort of, you know, take a moment and just sort of, you know, reflect on and sort of wish well and, and echo the Lord's heart for the Zack Snyder family right now. Anyone who is absolutely clueless as to what I'm talking about, his 20 year old daughter recently committed suicide and what a terrible, horrible tragedy that is. Um, and, and, you know, to the extent that our words matter to Zack Snyder, the Lord's heart breaks right along with yours and is there with you. And, and I just, I don't know. I just felt like that was something <laughs> I didn't want listeners to think, God, Nathan is so heartless. You know, he just riffs on Batman vs Superman on for a while. Perhaps there'll be a, a bit of a uh, pause on that for the foreseeable future. <laughs> right. But nonetheless, you know, I, I feel like that was an, an important thing to make as we do occasionally discuss these media personalities and, you know, whether it's Jonathan Demme or any of these other folks we've talked about that have passed away and we recognize their work. I don't know. I just felt like that was a significant uh, thing to address on our show. Oh, amen. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm glad you did. Yeah. Our our sincerest prayers and and most hopeful thoughts to the Snyder family. Uh moving into a a new segment read um that we've just sort of instituted. I just you know, Reed, I, I want to I don't want to ask you just two things. I want to ask you a third. I want to know what you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? <laughs> wow. It's this I I don't have any I don't have any words. There's no verbal response <laughs> to such chicanery. That's not chicanery. <laughs> What's a chicanery? If you were watching Better Call Saul, you'd know what chicanery oh, is. Oh, come on. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and I thought about that. I was like, "Oh yeah, what you listening to?" Um Yeah. Okay, so There you go. So so yes, brand new segment uh, about two episodes old of what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Um Sure. sure. You know, just a brief moment where we talk about the uh, robust media appetites that we engage in. And, um, you know, like, read. What's the, give, give me one or two of uh, what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening well, to. Well, I'll keep it with one big one. Okay. And that's that my wife and I officially started Unbreakable. They alive, damn They alive, damn it. It's a miracle. <laughs> and females Ooh, are strong as hell. <laughs> <laughs> that is, okay, so, so I've, I've really. This is, this, 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 this podcast is going to turn into the fear of Nathan and Reed singing. Like, that's the. <laughs> so true. That's what it's going to become. That's a legitimate fear. That's a real horror. So, uh, yeah, so Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is, uh, alive. Damn it. 
in our household. Uh, yeah, I'm about halfway through season one, and it's really delightful. Ellie Kemper is just, she's just adorable. And the whole show has the kind of tone. It's the kind of comedy that I really get excited about because it's rather absurdist, but it's it's got a lot of heart to it. And I'm really sort of... I sort of enjoy the general undertones of theme that are not too heavy, but they sort of touch on this this undercurrent of like, hey, you know, people are people are people, and uh, it, it's just I'm enjoying it so far. I have no idea where the show goes. Like I said, I'm only halfway through season one. Well, but. it's funny. It's funny you um, address theme. Actually, both. Well, now I mean, the third season is out as of this recording. I've not seen any of it yet, but both seasons one and two, uh, about the midway point, the two thirds point, really dig their teeth into some heavy thematic stuff in a way really? that's kind of surprising and impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, wow. there are way, there are ways in which they start to deal with what does it mean for this character to have gone through this stuff in a wow. way that you kind of don't expect. Interesting. Now I, I, I will ask, are you familiar with, uh, Pinot Noir yet? Not yet. I've heard of oh, I've heard, gosh. My, yes. so so you commented on a Facebook thread of mine and and then yeah <laughs> and my wife said like oh yeah you don't even know what that means yet and I'm like okay all right we'll get there <laughs> oh it's so funny I love I love um goodness gracious help me out with the character name Titus Andromeda gay black roommate yes yes <laughs> Titus Titus he's got a he's got a scene towards the end that is unbelievable season one oh, okay. where it, i i don't even we'll, we'll catch, catch back up with me right, and, <laughs> and, and titus's viral video at the end of season one and to your point ellie is it kemper or klemper kemper ellie kemper yeah like she is so good at embodying that character who like you just believe it is possible this person is this ignorant <laughs> but also sort of like charming and right. plugged in. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting delivery on that character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. So you are, you are diving through the Kimmy Schmidt catalog. That's a lot of fun. Two things. So I finished Fargo season two. Ah, uh, very, very different bit of media consumption there. Dude, that was amazing. Yeah. It's stunning. It's, it's really, I mean, I can't decide which I think is objectively the stronger season, season one or season two, but I definitely enjoyed season two more. I would state an answer unequivocally for you that it's two. Mm. I love Martin Freeman, mm -hmm. and I love the tone and vibe established by season one. I think season two, you use this phrase a lot. I don't often. It is a masterpiece of television production. Mm. Every single element of that show of that particular season is just expertly deployed. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really, strange. um, so that's a lot of fun. And I feel like it, we would be remiss to not mention our, our surrogate mascot recently appeared on SNL again, this time as one Mr. David S. Pimpkins, <laughs> uh, which was a lot of fun. So, a little, a little different what you're watching, but, um, you know, kudos to Tom Hanks. I, I'm excited because that you would, you would think that that would mean they're aware of the value of this character and he will return. So, oh, I hope so. I hope so. But he's we'll alive and well we at the fear of God. That's true. He every is. Every single week. Every, we even every had a, week. It even delighted me. We had a couple of, uh, we had a couple of listeners. Shout out, Matt. We had a couple <laughs> yeah. of listeners who actually start referencing David Pumpkins in their emails to us, which is just, That's it funny. excites me. It excites me that, that it's funny. catching on and I'm enjoying it. Well, thank you, Reed, for indulging us in a little bit of a, what you watching? 
What you reading? You need to stop. <laughs> what you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> but it looks like you've landed on a consistent melody, which makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, I figured you'd like that. Uh, I'm, you oh, know, being being the uh, the vocalist you are betwixt the two of us. <laughs> So you ready? Yeah, let's uh, let's do it. So we you ready we, for a little embalming? Yeah, um, let's get wrapped up here. Um, I like that one. So the the, the mummy prior to now, uh, and I know we're, we're not going to start with likes dislikes, but I'm going to tip my hand here a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Prior to now, I would have listed of the big seven. We've mentioned the seven before the 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 core seven Universal monster movies, which are the ones that we're covering this year. The core seven are Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, and the Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, of those seven, I would have cited the Mummy as my least favorite of those seven. That has that has changed. I was not prepared for exactly the kind of reaction that I that I got out of out of this film. And I don't know if it had maybe it had something to do with the fact that I was preparing to have a conversation of the kind that we have, which I think that actually is largely to do with it because I don't know that I would have thought about the narrative of the film in these terms were I not preparing for this kind of conversation. Um, But, you know, a combination of that plus with, you know, my revisiting of the Wolfman and being actually a little bit less uh, affectionate towards it, you know, on right. right. Um, But, uh, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing where you go with that. I, I, I had a little bit of thematic um, stuff to discuss, but it's really not too robust. I'm interested to see where you uh, land us in our conversation here. I do want to, before we get into the full content of the 1932 Boris Karloff, the mummy. So a couple, couple of, couple of thoughts as we walk close to that shrouded figure. Um, I don't know if you saw this. I posted this to the fear of God Facebook page. So, which means I'm sure you did see it, but you know, you and I haven't discussed it. So this new Tom Cruise movie, Mm-hmm. Is the sort of launch pad. It's Iron Man one, if you will. Right. Right. For the universal monster relaunch. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, there's a part of me that's very curious. I don't think I'm excited, but I'm very curious. If like a, for, I don't know about you, the trailer for this mummy does nothing for me. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I think there's some potential to it, but again, prior to like this week when I watched the mummy again, I have always been like, oh, the, I even thought when they were when they were starting with it, I was like, why are you starting with the mummy? They remade the mummy, you know, in ninety nine. Like, why are you why are you starting with the mummy? Why don't you start with something something else, something that hasn't been revisited, uh, like the Invisible Man or something? Like, what you know, why don't you why don't you start with something else? But admittedly, the trailer looks like it could go either way for me. It looks like it might be just sort of an action spectacle, which I wouldn't be all on board right. for. Uh, but it looks like it might have a couple of things going on. Like the mummy is uh, is the female, which now that you've seen right. the film, you know that that's a change. That's a gender swap from the original. Right. right. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm. I think. I think for me, when I watch the trailer, I, all I think is more Tom Cruise action set pieces. Mm. It is difficult. This is, this is unfair towards this mummy movie, um, the current one, but I see the, the female mystical creature and all I think of, you didn't see Suicide Squad, did you? I did, unfortunately. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw really? It. Yeah. Even after we talked about it or before we talked about it? After we talked about it. What's wrong with you? I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, yes, you are. There is a, okay. We haven't talked no, about I, this. I will say this. I will say this. I have a personal code. That if I truly am not interested in a film, I simply ignore it. But once I bash a film enough, 
personally, I feel like I have to see it because I have to know for sure. Like, like I, it's compassion. I, it, you just got to befriend it's, the it's, person it's, you bully. Well, no, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, if if I'm if I'm trashing a film a lot without having seen it, I suddenly start to feel like I'm being unfair because I haven't given the film right. a chance well, to see if it's so. Now what? Are. So now what? Oh, it's garbage. I hate it. Uh, isn't it? I hate isn't it. it? Yeah, no, that, it's awful. I found nothing to like about Suicide Squad. Nothing. Where I was going, and maybe this will resonate with you now. The imagery of the mummy character, the female mummy character, is resonant to me with the imagery of the big bad female villain in oh, Suicide Squad. She's like dancing. Yeah. She's like dancing and hula hooping and doing this mystical mumbo jumbo. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so stupid. That's all you can call it. It's ridiculous. Sure. Sure. Um, okay. That move, like. I sort of wish we could just take a 10 minute interlude here and bash you with that squad again. No, no. It's so bad, but we won't. Anyway, so yes, I'm a little ambivalent. Like, you know, if, if this new mummy is one of those movies where if, if reviews prove strong enough, okay, that'll intrigue me, but I don't know. I don't know. Also, where I want to go is, um, I've got a fun story for you. Oh, let me have it. So. You just referenced the 90, is it 99 when the Brendan Fraser first movie, money yeah. movie came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I was watching the Universal 1932 mummy, I'm just, you know, processing all things mummy and remembering my experience having seen that one. I don't have any affection for those movies. I sound like such a jerk sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, for, <laughs> like, I'm so, I'm so judgmental, but maybe, maybe this story will illustrate that why that is. So I went to see, the mummy with my brother and I think one other person at our cheap show in my hometown. And it was like summertime. I'm wearing flip flops and the person in front of us spilled their drink on the floor. It was really odd. So we're in the movie theater, you know, and they spilled their drink and some got on my feet and it's like, Damn, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> but people around, people around him kind of moved away. It was a little odd. This is a true story. This is not, there's no fabrication here. About five minutes later, it's like they spilled their drink again. What is going on? Read this movie patient was barfing on the floor and had gotten sick. And these people had moved away and then they got sick again. And it's like on my feet because I'm right behind them. Uh uh-uh. So this is, this is my experience of oh watching. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Were they like. Well, you, d- I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't know. That's a horrible it, yeah. story. Like that's. Yes. A- yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you would tell that story. Like, that's so, that's so because awful. that's the association I have with the mummy. Oh my god! Someone vomiting on my feet. Wow. Yep, that's it. That's, that's it. I, see, there is no movie story I have that can top that. Like, th- like nope. that's you win forever. <laughs> Podcast over. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's my and I did want to know. So as we're as we've done with a couple of these universals, like, do you have a a non universal non primary mummy? Like, you know, I'm not referring to Brendan Fraser, right, mummy. right, right, right. You know, like, do you have a touch point that you're like a fan of or fond of or think about? This is, I mean, this is not totally. F- yeah, it's not movie related uh, directly, that's fine. but um, the Mummy Ride at Universal Studios. Uh-huh. Um, is as creepy as any mummy movie I've ever seen. Any, like it, it is, it is a, it a terrifying ride. Like it's, it's one of those things where it's a roller coaster. It's one of the few, uh, you know, like major roller coasters that they have at Universal Studios because most of theirs, like Disneyland, are more theme related rides. Right, um, right. So, but it's it's one of the the only like straight up roller coasters that they have, and the imagery is 
really frightening. But even more so than that, like the language is really frightening. Like it's talking about like eternal death and and like right before the roller coaster takes off, it says, now your soul belongs to me. And then the roller coaster like shoots off. It doesn't have a slow buildup. It wow. just like rockets off. Uh, it's a frightening experience. I mean, it's it's very fun, but it but it's it's a really fr- <laughs> it's kind of a creepy experience. Uh, sounds like so, it. yeah. All right. The only one I could really think of was, um, <clears throat> which is a really random one, and you'll roll your eyes at, was uh, Mumra from the Thundercats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Mumra. That's great. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's mummy-esque, sort of. They're preying on that imagery. Oh, absolutely. See? Absolutely. Um, well, speaking of imagery... So let's let's dive into some trivial bits. The the interestingly enough, especially considering that this specific image is only like at the very beginning of the film, but the movie poster of of this film specifically is incredibly iconic. It is so iconic in fact that it currently holds the record for the highest financial acquisition of any other movie poster in history. Somebody paid more than $450,000 for an original movie poster of, of The Mummy. And it currently holds wow. the record for, for biggest, which is interesting because like that, the image on the movie poster, the classic movie poster, um, is from the opening sequence of the film. Right, right. Um, and, you know, admittedly, most of the film, he doesn't look that way. But I just, I just thought that was really sort of interesting that, that, that this movie poster has that distinction. The only other, you know, couple of trivial bits I'll, of course, call out as he did for most of these. He did, he did the makeup for Wolfman. He did the makeup for Frankenstein. This is the mummy makeup again is the work of legendary makeup artist Jack Pierce, um, who, you know, accomplished most of Universal Monsters, uh, material. Also, you're probably noticing as you're watching more of these that, uh, you know, we have a recurring cast of, of, uh, actors or at least one. Edward Van Sloan has shown up in, yeah. in uh, a handful of these now. But what's what's interesting to me about the promotion for this film is that so when when Boris Karloff portrayed Frankenstein's monster in the original Frankenstein, he was virtually unknown. He had been working for about a decade, but only in bit parts and was not anywhere close to a household name. But such was the popularity of the Frankenstein film that when Universal advertised the mummy, they did so with just three words. Karloff dot 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 the mummy. And that's it. No, like big bombastic. What's the story about? It's just. Karloff was a really big name at that time, uh, even sure. more popular to his dismay than Bela Lugosi. And uh, yeah, so Karloff to was- To Bela's really, dismay or to Boris's dismay? To Bela's dismay, yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Because again, if you'll remember from our Frankenstein trivial bits that Bela Lugosi was offered the role of Frankenstein and turned it down. I remember those bits. Oh, yeah. So the only other real trivial bit that I had, uh, which is actually- I don't think this will come back up in themes. I just found it interesting. So the actress, uh, Zita Johan, who plays Mrs. Grosvenor, she was actually a believer and a practitioner of the occult, including some of the occult practices alluded to in this film. Um, All right. Yeah. And, and I don't know that one has to do with the other. I, I want to make this distinction. I'm not sure that, that uh, one pr- particular bit of information has to do with another, but she was also notoriously difficult to work with on set. Like, nobody well, had course. it wasn't <laughs> of course that's what i'm saying like i don't know that one of those has to do with the other but she was uh very very much challenging to work with um to the degree that universal i think cut short her contract um wow. but uh but yeah i just found it interesting that she she's actually was a a sort of believer and to at least a degree i like how you tried to distance yourself from that correlation and yet continue to imply the possibility that in this case, correlation does equal causation, uh, and Miss 
Zeta was re- let go. Post post hoc ergo proctor hoc. That's what I. That's what I like. Wow. To say. <laughs> yeah, big words on the board. Um. So yeah. So um. I, I mean, obviously, I already talked about how I was surprised by my affection for this film this this time around. Um, how did you feel about it? I'm always curious with the Universal Monster films to see how you feel because you you're seeing all of these for the first time. I just thought it was because you're my friend and you want to know how I feel about things. That's true in life, but about <laughs> these specifically, it's because you've never seen them. <laughs> um, so I was far more engaged than I expected to be, mm. and this is bleeding into likes dislikes, so that can sort of technically be going into that. So. You know, when when you hear, when you think about the mummy as a creature, as a character, that image of the bandaged, lumbering person coming after you is what you envision. Right. I was very unprepared and very appreciative of he's that for five minutes. Right. And then, right. like, when he shows back up as Bay, I was like, wow, that's... I like that. Mm. Like, I, not even because it was, it takes a lot and I value a lot the element of surprise in a movie, you know, sure. just, or in media Which period. Which is tough to know. do when the films are 80 years old. Right, right, right. And, right. and whether it's books or, or TV shows or movies, like that's just, it's hard to pull off, especially in this day and age with modern stuff, you know, with spoilers and all the like. So I was expecting, you know, kind of a la Wolfman, this kind of slow burn, people being chased by a mummy monster. Like, I just thought that's the story I was getting. And so, as you know, it's not that at all. Right, right. So, from so that just earned a lot of goodwill very early in the movie. Ultimately, I don't know that I would say, like, I loved the movie, but that element really elevated my appreciation. Because it was so not what I was expecting. Um, and I'll, I, I enjoy that. Right, right. Well, yeah. And, and, um, it's kind of the reverse of the Wolfman where it's like with the Wolfman, we kept saying, we're waiting for when the Wolfman's going to show up. You spend, the, you know, all this time like, okay, fine. We know he's going to get to the Wolfman. One of the, and this is, you know, the, they get the mummy out of the way at the very beginning. Yeah. And, and then now you're like, well, what happens next? I don't know what happens next. Right. Yeah. I can totally see that. Well, and yes, well, what you just said is exactly it. It's, when you can, in, when you can invoke that element of surprise, now I am asking the question and I am paying attention. Well, what is going to happen next? I don't know. You know, with the Wolfman, once the rhythm of the narrative clicks in, you're like, Oh, well, I know what's going to happen next. We're just going to have X, Y, and Z play out. You right. Know? And it's right. kind of, kind of predictable in that regard. Whereas the mummy, is not, um, especially if you've never seen it and haven't read a synopsis. You yeah, know, you're expecting right. that that opening imagery of him, which that is another thing I wrote down on my likes dislikes. You you beat me to the punch, but I didn't, you know, I didn't pay that close of attention to, to who did it. But that makakeup is fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's on par with anything today. Sure, sure. I mean, even even still, yeah. You know, you you look at him in that makeup, in that casket, in those opening ten minutes, and it's it's effective. Yeah. It, there's nothing, there's nothing cheesy about it. No, ab- absolutely. It looks, it, it's the verisimilitude behind it is, is even more impressive, I think, than anything that we've seen so far. The Frankenstein makeup is iconic, but you can kind of tell it's makeup. That, it's yeah. difficult yeah. to tell that he's not really wrapped in bandages. To a degree, right. he is, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's different. He had to be able to breathe. 
And uh, one of the on that it, in my likes dislikes, it has one of my favorite opening sequences to any Universal monster film. That is actually. Uh, even prior to the rewatch, I always noted. Do you like, mean his awakening? His awakening what? is like that. That's I love that moment because it's creepy the way that it's it's done with really no musical cues at first. He just opens his eyes very slowly, and then while the guy's sitting there reading it, he you know the hand sort of comes out for the right, scroll. It's right. very creepy. Uh, this could almost you know it's not scary, but it could almost go in scares. Like it's very it's a really effective sequence, and um, yeah, it's it's strong even even still. One other one other one other small thing I had on my likes dislikes and we can sort of move on from there i suppose uh, still regarding what you might have but is i, I did like the extreme close-ups of karloff's face when he's you know trying to mind control people or whatever the <laughs> heck he's doing you know it's like <laughs> right. those those were like it didn't feel cheesy those sure. are very effective extreme close-ups yeah oh yeah um in a way like, it's funny you make the distinction of frankenstein like in a way that the extreme close-ups in frankenstein didn't quite accomplish for me this did oh i got um, you i don't, yeah. I don't know what it what it was, but it was just a really effective, you know, really effective execution of that. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, closing out my likes, dislikes. I don't actually know which camp this falls into, but, uh, I don't think it gets more awkward or uncomfortable than Ardeth Bay staring down Miss Grosvenor, like a teenage boy at a strip club. Like, we're like, he's sitting there, like, when he's, when he's first meets her and he's like right, right. close to her face. And yeah. then, like, and then his yeah. eyes, whenever he would sit down, his eyes get like really big. He's looking at her like yeah. a piece of food or something. Like, it's it, like, it's so awkward and comfortable. Meanwhile, the other characters, like Wimple and the doctor, are standing around like they don't quite know. Yeah, what to yeah. do. it, is, it is like, we, should we leave the room kind of <laughs> looks they're making, it's, you know, y'all need to be alone. It's, it's so funny to me because they, they they absolutely like it, it's one of the most awkward <laughs> little moments that I've ever seen. And Art sure. of Bay is a sort of an unsettling little character in his quirks as it is. But uh, but just the way he reacts and responds to her, I just think it's so awkward. Well, I think I think, you know, you're referencing the character by name there. But like, I think that was that would fall squarely into likes in terms of the unexpected nature. Like I was so unaware and unprepared that the mummy of the first 10 minutes in movie chronology, 10 years later shows up as this, you know, put together Egyptian Lord. I don't know. I was like, well, that's kind of cool and totally unexpected to me. (laughs) I didn't, I had no idea that's where this story went. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, unless you had more likes, dislikes, uh, I really only have one, one scare other than mentioning that. I think the first 10 minutes is, is uncomfortable. My only real scare in this film, because, you know, it's these we've commented before that the the passage of time hurts the scare factor on these films. A little bit if you're viewing it with a 2017 uh, kind of mentality. But still, when he's being in the the flashback sequence, when he's being wrapped as the mummy, that's deeply unsettling. Like where he's struggling against the bands and they just and, and the camera stays on it. Like they wrap his mouth and then they wrap his nose. And of course, they very quickly cut after that because I'm sure Karloff had to be able to breathe. But it's really uncomfortable because the camera stays there for a while while he's struggling against it to the degree in the evening that I watched it. My son was still awake while I was seeing it. He was in the other room. But to the degree that like when that scene came on, I kind of I kind of like had to turn the TV for a minute (laughs) just to make sure he didn't see it. Sure. Um, Just because it it is it's it's kind of an unsettling little 
unsettling little sequence. Well, I, it's funny that that was stuck out to you. The only thing I would put on my scares list, and it, I thought it was legitimately well done, is when the um, the archaeologist assistant or whatever he is in those first ten minutes, the one who says the incantation. Oh, right. His maniacal laughter. That's very creepy. Yes. And yeah. very like it. It was, I remember watching it thinking, wow, I feel watching this moment like I would in a scary movie made today. Like it's, sure. it's very effective. You, 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 you definitively feel like this character is unmoored mm-hmm. from his rational mind. Right. You know, oh, yeah. It was, it was yeah. very well, very well executed. And kind of, kind of brilliant in that it's not the reaction you would expect. You'd expect a scream or you'd expect some blithering, right. you know, so, so, so the fact that it's this, insane laughter is again it's that element of surprise like that's not what you would expect as a reaction to somebody who's just been accosted by a mummy yeah it yeah it's really effective i I don't really have much more in those in in that category and uh as you as we've already alluded to i think my theme might get a little robust so i'm gonna gonna throw to you do you have anything by way of of themes that you would throw at something that you gleaned from this movie well it's it's funny i i um, listeners are going to be like, man, Nathan, you beat the same theme drum over and over. And you know what? We're at episode 41. <laughs> if you stick with us, you're going to start hearing repeats and new, new, uh, iterations of similar, uh, you know, similar thoughts. But sure. I don't, I don't know. I found some, something interesting in the sort of, um, there's the scene where I'm going a feminist route here. Um, there's the scene where, gosh, you said her name already. Zeta. That's the actress. The character's name is Miss Grosvenor. Okay. When Grosvenor is trying to rebuff the advances of Wimple. And I just, wa- you know, watching it as a 2017 adult man aware and attuned and trying to pay attention to the culture we currently live in, watching that scene was very discomforting. I don't know if you remember this. She keeps turning him down. Mm. Mm-hmm. And his line is... You can tell me to go to the devil, but you can't laugh at me. Mm. And it's a very interesting line, which gets played for sort of a, a chortle in 1932. I don't know if you've seen this with The Handmaid's Tale as prevalent as it is right now. There's a Margaret Atwood quote going around. I'm pretty sure it was attributed to her that says very hauntingly, uh, men are afraid women will laugh at them, comma. Women are afraid men will kill them. Mm. Wow. And I couldn't help but think of that line watching that scene. Like this poor woman mm-hmm. is trying to turn this dude down. Yeah. And in our 1932 sort of, you know, male dominant culture, it's, they'd probably watch it like, oh, ho, ho, ho. Mm-hmm. silly lovebirds sort of. But then he says, don't laugh at me. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, uh, that's a little creepy. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, like contextualizing it the way that you did. I, I took note of that line specifically, not with that level of, um, reaction to it, but I took note of that line and of that scene particularly. And I did sort of register not enough to write it down because some other things were kind of going on that I'll mention in a, in a few minutes. But I took note that that, that's a very sort of that time frame. You can just see the I don't know if it's right to call it misogyny, but there there's a lot of of just sort of the sure. entitlement in the general ether of films from the thirties um right. just where it's like 
you know, it's, it's the conquest kind of idea. And that's the, that's the sort of tone with which he approaches that moment. And uh, yeah, it is, it, it's, it's troublesome. Um, we, you understand the kind of, or, or, you know, we can understand that different time frames have different sort of cultural sure, rhythms and, sure. um, different perspectives as such. So I won't necessarily indict them for not knowing any better in that moment. But, but yeah, it, it is with, with what we know now and with what, with where we've grown sure. now, it's, it's a, it's a troublesome dynamic. Yeah. I mean, like, you put that scene in a 2017 movie and the movie is now about right. the dysfunctional dynamic of these two characters. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. when in that movie, when in the mummy 1932, it's like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. They, isn't he, isn't he cute? Right. You know, <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I mean, again, I know it's, it's not, um, it's not as fully formed as, Clarice and her adventures in the silence of the lambs, but that was kind of something that really stood out to me. Sure. Sure. I understand. Well, um, as I'd mentioned and man, this is unwieldy. This is a Frankenstein monster level sort of, sort of theme. So, so uh, give me a little bit of space to sort of, uh, well, just, just one sentence at a time, one right? sentence at a time. We're here. One We're step, here one punch, you. one round at a time. Um, there you go. but, um, so uh, as I was watching this film, uh, first of all, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it and how engaged I was with it because I've seen this film a couple of times before and really just sort of it, it, it had always sort of fallen flat for me. I think it did, did directly relate to the fact that I was thinking about it in spiritual context because that's the kind of conversations that we have here. Um, and while I tend to do that anyway for films uh there are certain films that invite it more than others and the mummy had never invited it for me yet and i don't know if it was a combination of that with the fact that the mummy happened to be as culturally we consider most of them to be an egyptian mummy sure but things were just sort of starting to connect and some subconscious dots were starting to to come together in what I was thinking about. And, and so, again, permit me a bit of space to sort of unpack where, where I'm going with this. A little bit of movie context first. So, so in the film, he is a character who, back centuries ago, committed a what the Egyptian people considered to be a sacrilegious atrocity to the degree that they entombed him alive, buried him alive, and scraped off the spells that are supposed to protect you from the second death, from eternal death, you know, so they basically condemned him, as the film says, uh, in this life, they condemned him to death in this life and the next, that they, you know, eternal death. Sure, right. And then he awakens, and when he awakens, he connects to this Miss Grosvenor character and considers her to be the reincarnation of his, I'm going to try to say this right, uh, Ankh Esen Amon, I'm probably saying that wrong, but. Bless you. <laughs> So he considers her to be the the, the reiteration of her love, uh, of his love, the one for which he says he suffered more than any other person has ever suffered for anyone. And he's trying, especially in the climax of the film, to compel her to recognize her reincarnated state and to endure the horror of embalming, of live embalming, so that she can be united with him again. Because as he says, you've got to your body has a soul right now and I need that to be in the state that I'm in, which is essentially a soulless sort of existence so that we can be together. And he's using the language, I want you to rise again, you know, and, and he's using this sort of 
language that at first was beginning to strike me uncomfortably because I was like, wow, this could almost be seen, and I'm not going here, but at first it sort of struck me as somebody could say this was almost a profane reverse iteration of like Christ language, you know, of like, oh, a moment suffering and then you're with me eternally. And that's, you know, that can be sort of in sure, with like sure. martyr language and rise again and, and th- th- that sort of notion. And so I was like, wow, what's going on in this film? And then it was finally the fact that he was from Egypt that sort of tipped the scales on what I'm about to try to unpack here. Um, and where I'm going to a degree is talking about counterfeit. So a little bit of, now that's movie context. Now a little bit of, Biblical context. Enough so that you understand my point, but not enough so that people think they're suddenly listening to a Bible history podcast. So the book of Genesis details a number of prominent Judeo-Christian figures uh, culminating in the story of Joseph. And it's a lengthy story. I won't articulate it all right here, but it ends with Joseph eventually becoming a prince in Egypt and bringing his whole family. His father was Jacob, also known as Israel. Joseph was one of the 12 children who eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. So the end of Genesis, the end of the book of Genesis, details how Joseph and all of Israel came to live in Egypt. The book of Exodus opens... And that's where they and that's where they talk about his amazing Technicolor dream coat, Exactly. Right? That's like exactly that's... right. Hey, that is... I mean, that's the story. Um, I actually really like that musical. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then in Exodus, it opens with a sort of a brief preamble that anchors my thoughts here you would pass over it almost as prologue but it says was that a was that a bible joke what you, you said you'd almost pass over it as a- oh that's not a bible joke no um <laughs> so y- it, it's something that you would probably just skip through to get to the meat of the story but it says that the people of israel were living and multiplying in egypt and a pharaoh was born who did not remember joseph It says that just in passing, that a Pharaoh was born who did not remember Joseph. This Pharaoh, because he did not remember Joseph, uh, was concerned about the encroachment of the Israelites on Egyptian territory and therefore put them in slavery. And they lived in slavery for 400 years. So follow me here that if a Pharaoh rose up who did not remember Joseph, it stands to logical reason that a generation rose up in Israel who did not remember living outside of Egypt. They had no context for anything other than life in Egypt. And then they're enslaved, and they're enslaved for 400 years, which means generation after generation after generation rises up in slavery. Their only cultural context beyond the traditional stories passed down by their forefathers is life in slavery in Egypt. That's all. Sure. So here's where I'm going with this. We know that when they were out in the wilderness, one of the sort of often teased elements of the Israelite people is that they constantly ragged Moses, we would have been better off in Egypt. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and bring in the scripture because it's important to this context. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 3 says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, what listeners who may not be as familiar with biblical context might not know is that at that moment that they're in the wilderness, 
Where are they traveling, Nathan? They're traveling to the promised land. They are mm-hmm. on their way to the promised land. And as they're passing through the wilderness, marching through the promised land, they continually regret having left Egypt. They continually regret having left their pot of meat where they had all the food that they wanted to eat, but they were enslaved. And here's what I was thinking as I was watching this this mummy try to woo this woman. And he's trying to invite her like, hey, be, be gridlocked in with me. Like, that's where you really belong. Be gridlocked in with me and is using this kind of eternal love language. You know, he's like, you know, we'll enter into love, love that would. And he even says to her love that would do you harm, love that might do you irreparable harm. But he calls it love. And what I what I kept scratching at is I kept scratching at this idea that for this generation of people, they had grown up in slavery. Slavery was all they had known, but also their only. Again, this is a logical presumption. Their only real context for freedom was the freedom that they saw exhibited by who? The Egyptians. The Egyptians was their only concept of freedom. That that they're there in slavery, but to them, it's logical for me to assume that their concept of freedom is not a home of our own, a different land, and elsewhere. It is here, free, in Egypt. That's... It's... Logical to me to presume that that's their sort of context for how they want to be delivered from this. But what is the Lord's intention throughout the entire book of Exodus to bring you out of Egypt, to get you out of there entirely into a new land, a new place to give him at the time that the people are delivered from Egypt? They have no Ten Commandments. They have no law. They have no cultural structure. They don't have any of that yet. But that's part of what the book of Exodus sort of lays out, is that the Lord wants to draw them out of that environment and wants to bring them into a home of their own. Now, here's where I'm going to try to calm myself down because I can feel myself already sort of getting fired up. I look at the mainstream language of the church today. I look at the larger sort of evangelical world and the larger sort of evangelical language that is usually uses scripture to try to appropriate what they are saying is godly and righteous. And, and, and I want to, I want to try to avoid using they as much as I can and just sort of say like, Hey, it, it is, there is a way in which you can project that kind of language as very godly and righteous. But the whole time it reeks to me of the kind of language that only has a freedom concept within Egypt. In other words, we're going to be free sure. in Egypt. We're going to we're going to be free right. by the terms of which we which, have seen which, in the rest of the world. Right. I was going to say, and, and even in using it that way, I think in print you would put quotation marks around the word free. Right. Right. You know, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We are. We are do, do me a favor, real quick, and maybe maybe it was just a rabbit trail, which is totally fine because we do that. Um, I like where you're going. Was there a direct connection between where the establishment and the movie? Yes. Like what, what was the, yeah. Okay. Were you getting there? Have I, have I jumped the gun here? No, uh, no, no, no. I, I probably didn't make it well enough because I kind of skirted past it. Whereas just he's inviting her to what he is claiming is like her destiny, eternal relationship with him by going through this moment of torment. And then he's uh, inviting her into that. But, he is a counterfeit of that. He's a counterfeit of love. He's a counterfeit of life. He's not life. He's not love. Or He's, into the, into the context of where you are going, it's freedom in Egypt. Exactly. You know? That he he's he's inviting her into freedom that is still bondage. 
but he's he's inviting her to to be like him as it were and that's sort of more the connective tissue is that he wants her to be right. like no, him I, I can see that. and the, the 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 people in Israel I can perceive their only concept of what it meant to be free and to be you know autonomous on their own would be what they saw the Egyptians being but that's not what the yeah. lord desired for them yeah I, I i don't i don't know how you might re um reestablish where the construct you're building outside of this specific, very specific conversation. But I really like where you're going with that because, um, so much of, I mean, I, I will draw the clear lines between, I think what you are presuming is, is implicit in what you're saying that, you know, you use the Joseph language and the generations betwixt Joseph. I just love that word this evening. <laughs> um, the, the generations, uh, from Joseph to, um, where scripture in Exodus begins and the commonality, the commonplaceness, the presumptive culture that establishes itself around, uh, these Israelites. And, and let's juxtapose that with, you know, the, the Jesus of scripture and, the time since then and the generations that have grown up in, you know, let's, let's call it Egypt, if you will, you know, that, that, that presume a freedom that is not such. Right. I think is sort of where you're aiming with that. Oh, oh yeah. Whole yeah. Construct. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's so much to be mined there in terms of, you know, as we sometimes do, we'll, we'll probably end up drifting far from the, the strict text of the movie. But yeah, what a powerful image and, and, and necessary reminder that it is. And hear me, like, I, I, I appreciate the compassion you were exercising a minute ago and sort of checking your language of they and, and this sort of stuff, because it is difficult and, and sometimes impossible to, of your own strength, jar yourself out of Egypt. Yes. Mentally, yeah. spiritually, psychologically. And if anything, it feels like <laughs> I just, I, this image just came to me and it's kind of for, it's kind of, um, interesting based on this context. I was trying to picture a, a, a dragging, a falling into, and I pictured an upside down pyramid, you know, which is mm. fascinating <laughs> imagery for right, an Egypt right. conversation. But this, this way in which we keep being drawn into this deeper entrenchment of, quote unquote, freedom in Egypt. Right. Right. In our current culture and society in a way that is sympathetic. Right. Right. I right. mean, like, I don't not understand it. Right. Well, and, and to, to go even further than that, why did the people of Israel keep wanting to go back to Egypt? Because the way into the promised land was hard. It was difficult. That right. was why they, right. that was why they kept wanting to go back because to do this, they had to get uncomfortable. They had to let go of all of the sort of creature comforts that they were used to. They had to depend on God daily, like they didn't have any food. They didn't have any water that he didn't provide for them. They had to get into a place where they could not sustain themselves. And that frustrated them day in and day out to the degree that they said it would have been better if the Lord had killed us in Egypt rather than us yeah. be led by the Lord into life in a home and a promised land that is our own. And I mean, there's, what, is there is there nothing more threatening to corporate faithful living than mass comfort? Yes. And, you know, safety in concert. Right. Like, it is, it's funny, you're, you're brushing up against a lot of thoughts I've been having lately. Just, you know, are they born directly of themes you're 
talking about here or not. I'm not real sure, but I was telling my wife the other day about how I feel like using your imagery. I mean, it's, it's the biblical imagery, but you're, you're utilizing it in a context we can all sort of wrap our heads around in terms of present day. But to me, there's this way in which faithfulness requires constant discomfort. Mm-hmm. And man, we hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate it. I'm not, I'm not patting myself on the back at all. Right. You know, I mean, every, every second you're spinning one plate, 15 others are falling to the ground. You know, it's right. the, the temptation exists to just let them all fall to the ground and just call it good. Right. But so, a thought that came to me recently was, you know, just this, and it actually it may have been one of our podcasts, but like, you know, the, the, the new wine of today is in an old wine skin tomorrow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And like, this is sort of what you're talking about in a very perfunctory fashion is you've got to keep alert and attentive and pressing and the wilderness is treacherous. Yes. But promise is waiting. Yes. It's the way home is the thing is that it's the way home. Yeah. Yeah. As in wilderness is the way home. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Because that's what he was wanting to do. And that's what I keep, that's what I keep scratching up against as I'm, and that's what, Largely, I was unprepared for this film to sort of dig up in me is this understanding that there's this constant and this is what it was, is that the the mummy in the film is using language that I would easily say in a different context is similar to sort of the, the language of, you know, eternal, right. you know, this is our home, this is our destiny, all this kind of thing. He's using that language, but he is a counterfeit. He is, and she says, it's kind of silly to bring this up at this moment, but she says at one point, save me from that mummy. He's, it's dead. Save me from that. It's dead. And that's what I like. I did write down one quote from her that sort of, uh, helps to sort of articulate this. She says to him, she says, I loved you once, but now you belong with the dead. I am Ankasaman, but I'm somebody else too. And then she says, I want wow. to live even in this strange new world. And it just bowled me over because she's saying like, hey, I, I, yes, I that, that may be once who I was. Maybe once sure, I was a slave sure. in Egypt, but I'm somebody else too. And I want to move into this strange new world. You've talked before on the show about uh, that Eugene Peterson quote of entering into a mystery that, that, right, you know, right. I, I want to live, let go of my expectations yes. and enter a mystery. Yeah and, yeah. and that's the thing is, is that's what this is, is it's letting go of the concept that we have always so frequently defined as freedom, which is defined by the Egyptians, by what we've seen in the world yes. around us. So, yes. so we as faithful followers of Jesus have to, which rest- let's be clear. Let's be clear. I know I'm jumping in and that's rude, but. Let's really be clear here. You are saying Egypt, but what you mean is dominant culture. Yes. Yes. Right. I mean, oppressive I mean, I, dominant you know, culture. I know this Lavish. Is, I don't even mean, I don't even mean oppressive necessarily. I just mean like when we are talking about Egypt, we're talking about what is the dominant culture yes. that you are living in. Yes. You know, and that could be Constantinople of hundreds of years ago between now and Egypt. It can be today. <laughs> yes. The United States of America. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. This is the dominant culture and its rules and its mores that you get intoxicated with, that I get intoxicated with, sure. that we get intoxicated with. Yes. And enjoy to our, to our detriment. Absolutely. Hear me. I, I feel I need to back off a little bit for some of the, the strength of that specific language because I do think the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yes. And yes. there's a way in which 
there's a way in which abundant life does not mean a petrified life, if you will, you know, yes. a, an ignoring of all things good, mm-hmm. but there is a, also a way in which Egypt is inside of you. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, we mentioned on the, uh, on the Frankenstein podcast talking about how the, they eventually come to a place to where they fashion from their own gold an image yes. that they then call God. Like it is so deeply within them. Egypt is so deeply buried in them. And I, I wrote another thing that this other theme sort of overrode, but I talked about unearthing buried evil. Like the, when they were, you know, they dig up the mummy and then then that's what sets him free, obviously. But that idea of like it is so deeply within us that we will fabricate gods and we will call Egypt home and we will believe that the only home is Egypt and that the only power is Pharaoh and that the only thing we can possibly do is find a way to be comfortable and at home in Egypt when the whole time the Lord is drawing us to this other kingdom, this other home, this other world, drawing us out into something that is immensely more free and immensely more beautiful and immensely more ours as it as it were but we keep clinging to the the things that we have known to be our comforts in Egypt and that's something that really was just i mean it's gnawing at me in a way that i couldn't even begin to fully flesh out on this on this one conversation but this idea that w- i look around and i hear people justifying things in both directions. I hear them justifying things using biblical language that I know deep within my heart to be so contrary to gospel kingdom living, but they're using biblical language to justify it. And they're using some sort of moral righteous high road that they see it as, as some justification for treating people horribly and treating people as less than people, or they're, or they're doing so in such a way that just fashions themselves in a position of power and comfort. And that couldn't be more Egypt freedom. (laughs) That couldn't be more like, like I want to live like the Pharaoh. I want to live like the guys in the palace. I at least want to live like these people who are beating me with whips every day. I want to live like those people. Instead, what the Lord comes to do in Moses is shatter the chains and to break the power of Pharaoh and to show people that there is a home beyond that one, that there's a, a way to live that is beyond what you have seen, what you have known. But it's something that just as I was watching it, when I turned it off, I almost couldn't sit still because I was sitting here recognizing like how much of a counterfeit has seeped into our hearts and our minds mm. and our souls yeah. and our spirits and said like, this is the kingdom. Egypt is the kingdom that God promised. Right. You. And it's not. Right. It's not. We have believed that we can eat the fruit and that we won't die. We have believed that we can completely abandon the, 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 what the Lord came to give, which is empty yourself, lose your life and find it. And, and that's right. something that we just don't have a tendency to do. You know, let's, we're, we're, the flames are roaring, uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, the good flames, the, the, the Holy Spirit flames, not the, you know, Sheol flames. Sure. Um, but, you know, this is why anyone who follows me on Twitter or anything like that or, or might occasionally be like, dead gum, Nathan, you are just anti, America and, and, or, or if you just listen to the show, maybe, maybe you infer that some, um, you know, uh, I, I, I would never claim a, a, an ardent patriotism, but this is why it is exactly what you're talking about. It is not that you can't live in a natural, 
uh, country of, you know, parameters and borders that has a sort of niceness to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right, right. yeah go live where you want to live and enjoy that place. Right. But the trouble is the intoxication of, uh, Egypt first. Yes. If you will. Right. That says whether you acknowledge it consciously or not, allegiance to Egypt overrides anything else. Right. That right. somehow Egypt is embodying biblical principles, right. biblical right. whatever. Yeah. When in fact, as you're establishing, Christ would say, you know, what I keep coming back to this is an odd image, although I feel like it's worthwhile. I keep coming back to, and, and these are phrases and concepts that, uh, even two years ago, I would have a great deal of, of, um, naivete towards, but, um, gerrymandering. Right. You're familiar right. with this, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that this sort of false outlines of counties and things like that for voting purposes. I think about that image with kingdom, with the kingdom mm. of like, we, we really want America to be the kingdom. Right. Right. But mm-hmm. really it's this, uh, diverse tapestry with strange Rorschach looking lines all around it that weave in and out geographically. Does this make oh, sense yes, at all? Of course. Of course. Um, I don't know. I think about that a lot and just how, I don't know, man, I, I get so sort of disheartened by Egypt love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm even being, I'm even trying to be sensitive there, yeah. but, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. It, it is, it is disheartening to feel like, um, I'll put it this way. Christ just always wants better yeah, for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, just period. And like, has better. Na- yeah. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, wants has and is better. Yes. 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 <laughs> you know, and, and we just, it's, it's the CS Lewis. We settle for mud pies sort of imagery. Yeah. You absolutely. Know? Like, um, absolutely. You know, we, 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 we play in the mud and, and I want to be sensitive and cause I, I am a firm believer in revelry and joy and, you know, joyful expressions of faith as legitimate that aren't, that don't fit into a very prescribed quote unquote evangelical mold. Oh, you gotta have your, you gotta have your fall festival and not your Halloween party. I think those sort of sorts of distinctions are stupid. I mean, clearly I'm part of a fear of God podcast, but so, so I, I am very much a, uh, an advocate for, enjoying life mm-hmm. in a way that is not abusive to yourself or those around you. Right. Um, so I would not say, you know, don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You know, I, I just think there's this way in which we get intoxicated by the dominant culture of Egypt and, yes. and forget and forget that it isn't. Uh, here's my final button on this. And I'm sure you'll have more. There's one more thing. It isn't that it isn't our home geographically. I'm not talking about geography, but it isn't our home. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, I think, I, I, and what I mean by that is I think people often get confused when you talk about language of home, not you read, but you Christians, when we talk about language of home, they think, oh, well, yeah, that's right. Heaven's my home. Sure. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I think scripture is a lot of times talking about. Like, oh, I agree. It is a, it is a present, eminent, tactile, physical, tangible 
perhaps geographic home. Yes. It just doesn't abide your national borders and parameters and lines. Because anyway, because and I I didn't look the scripture up, but because Christ told his people, the kingdom of God is not going to come by your observation. It's not going to people are not going to look and say like, oh, there it is, because he said the kingdom of God is within you. So, yes, I agree. Heaven is our home, but more so Christ is our home. And the fact yeah. that we uh, have within us the capacity to bring forth the kingdom in any everyday situation and conversation is our home. And I think that let, let me be clear about this. I am grateful and it does not sound like it, but hear me distinctly. I am immensely grateful that I was born an American. I love this country. I am proud to be living here. The fact that you and I can have a show like this and talk about what we, you know, uh, what we talk about. People have fought and died to protect the liberty that we have to talk about that. All of that is absolutely of the essence, but foremost, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and foremost, I am a believer in the gospel that broke the power of sin in this world, that broke the slavery and the bondage to sin, and I think more so than that, we have a responsibility, as it were, once we've heard this language, once we know what is before us, to live accordingly. (laughs) <laughs> to cast off well, and, everything and even, else. Even, you know? I'm sorry to jump in there, but even, you know, use your own language here. You said that broke sin. I would say Jesus calls us and says and points at Egypt and says, this isn't best, right, great, or home. No. And friggin' get it through your skulls. Right. Like, I'm sorry. I totally no, no, no. Uh, all I was going to say is that, you know, it's it's one of those things where we would look at this and say, like, yeah, we're not denying the potential goodness and good qualities and things we have to be grateful for, for living where we do and when we do. But it is of the utmost essence that we remember that it is not where we belong and it is not what we are pressing forward into. That is of the utmost essence. Otherwise, we will start deceiving ourselves to believing that Egypt is our is our home and that Egypt is the kingdom that God has promised us. And it's not. He wants to draw right. us out of those mentalities, out of that bondage, out of, of that way of thinking. And it's hard to cross the wilderness and enter into the promised land. Not everybody makes it. Not in Exodus and, and not according to the scriptures uh, in Toto. But the fact is, it's difficult and we must press on because there's a home waiting on the other side of that that we're constantly being drawn into and that we have, as Christ promised us, some measure of within us at this very moment, that it is at hand, as he called it. Yeah, I, I'm just going to have to stop because otherwise I'm just going to I'm, I'm just going to go uh, and, uh, and and yeah, I just I wasn't really I wasn't really ready for what this idea of looking at the mummy as a counterfeit for life and a counterfeit for love did in my heart in thinking about this larger context of of the history of Israel and Egypt and how that all sort of connected to me. But yeah, so there you go, there you go, listeners. Yeah, uh, well, hey, you know. It's it's not a fear of God episode if one of us doesn't just catch the fire just of the spirit off. and <laughs> and just burn up and get oh, engulfed in flames. Well, um, I don't know, but I, but I, but you know, I I I a kid there, but I think there is there is weight and gravity and and importance and significance and faithfulness to what you are trying to articulate that this inspired that man. It is, it is a constant need to be conscientious of, of the Egypt in us and around yeah. us and above us. Because even something that I thought about a minute ago, you, you were describing the, the value of living in the time and country we do. And, and my immediate thought is you and I appreciate that value in a way that not everyone does. Mm. And, and 
what I'm saying specifically is not everyone has it as good and right and well as you and I do. And I think the, the call of home, the faithful kingdom says it is a place where all are available to mercy, grace, and love in equal measure of any stripe and, and color creed, what have you. And we, that, that is where we get drunk is thinking, look how good I have it forgetting the person next to us doesn't get to quite share in that level of goodness, quote unquote, sure. that we do. Yeah. No. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, completely I need to shut up. Yeah. Get revved right back up. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to just, we'll have to just sort of cut this off here. Although, um, you know, we still have our David pumpkins to, uh, to go into for the mummy. I think now's a good time to say that, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. This no, conversation could go isn't. on for hours. Um, but I'm going to stop. I'm just simply going to say, and sincerely, with no tongue in cheek whatsoever, God bless America, sincerely, but Christ is life, Christ is, is liberty and freedom, period. <laughs> Egypt is not our home. Right. Um, all right, let's, no, let's uh, pumpkin it up. Right. So, as we always do, we're going to uh, rate by our favorite metric, that of numbers of David S. Pumpkins in three categories, style, scares, and substance. Uh, today, uh, specifically referring to 1932's The Mummy. Yo. Um, so Reed, uh, style, I am going to give, uh, out of zero to five David S. Pumpkins purely for the sort of surprise factor. I'm going to give this a solid 3.5, um, for style, I'm going to go ahead and, and give this a 3.5 as well. And honestly, prior to the rewatch, I probably would have given it somewhere close to like a two. But, uh, but yeah, I think that I was just really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. So 3.5 for me as well. Sure. And what about scares for you? Scares for me, honestly, I admitted it's not a terribly scary movie. Uh, although that, you know, there's a couple of unsettling moments. I'm going to land at a three. Oh, wow. That's higher than I would have expected based on that, uh, preface. Um, I think for me, um, uh, this it does not betray a lack of liking as evidenced by my style grade. I, I'm probably going to go like a two on the scares factor, gotcha. you know, and if I'm honest, that might be hedging a little more favorable. I mean, I, I found that scene I referenced pretty, pretty well executed scare wise. Yeah. Other than that, there wasn't a whole lot for the opening sequence and his being wrapped in the mummy sequence alone. That's, that's where that's great. Came from. Yeah, yeah so. that was great. Um, um for substance, um, I'll leave the charge here. You, you made, you built a very good case for where your brain train took you. I think you brought a lot more than the movie necessarily has in it itself. So I think I would settle kind of at the 2.5, um, substance factor. Yeah. I would agree with all of that. I think that a lot of that was just what it was raising up in me and what I brought sure, to it versus sure. what's in the text of the film. Uh, so I was actually gonna, but because it did that, I'm going to give it a 3.5 for substance. Cause I do think that that's fair. I mean, it's, fair. it's going to those places. So, so, uh, yeah, that means why don't you give us our David S. Pumpkins score? Uh, today, uh, 1932's The Mummy, we give this movie six. David S. Pumpkins. Any questions? So, uh, yeah, six. I think that's All fair right. for the mummy. I think, I think six David S. Pumpkins is fair and good. Yeah. Um, it's a classic. So, it's a classic. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, if you want to continue this conversation, I know that uh, I've, I've gone off, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so so if you'd like to uh, continue that conversation about the mummy itself or about anything that we've talked about in this conversation, you can feel free to do so in a variety of ways. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Nathan, what is our Twitter handle? At the fear of God. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us there. You can post to leave a comment on one of our posts. There's a link there through Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, where can they find you on Twitter? At the Nathan Rouse. You can also email us fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. All one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And not only to discuss the mummy, not only to talk about what we've mentioned here, but also to leave us your hashtag I love the 90s list of your favorite horror films of the 90s. Please continue to send those submissions if you've not done so already. Uh, we love getting them and we can't wait to see what you guys come up with. Um, you can also go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a comment on one of the official posts there. Um, and if you listen to us through iTunes, please, we would love to have a review uh, in any capacity, but uh, but especially a favorable one. So please uh, pop over for a few minutes and leave us a review on iTunes. And otherwise, Nathan, thank you so much for indulging me <laughs> in this, in this uh, ridiculous brain train that I uh, that I'd accumulated, uh, but for having this conversation, certainly, with me, my general, friend, as always, yeah. So, uh, I, I should mention what we're companioning this with next week. <laughs> uh, we went a little bit of an unexpected direction. Uh, That's not unexpected. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to be visiting a film that uh, I'm actually very excited to talk about. A film by Don Coscarelli called Bubba Hotep, starring one Bruce Campbell and Ozzie Davis. A little bit of a sillier entry, but with a surprising amount of heart to it and maybe a surprising amount of substance, too. We'll see when we have that conversation. But uh, check that film out as a companion film to The Mummy, Bubba Hotep. And uh, we will see you next week to talk about that. Nathan, thank you very much as always. Yes, sir. <laughs> we'll see you next week, guys. Bye. I just, I just read the, I was looking at my notes from Rebbe Hotep and read the, would you like a ding dong line?